All right. Good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Proverbs 24, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We'll do through verse 22 this morning is all. 22 is going to be our last verse. I want to go over some announcements while you're turning there. Potluck today after second service. Um, we're going to have handballs, so bring something that goes with that if you want to come back for that. Uh, tonight at 7 p.m. we have our time of prayer. Uh, corporate prayer. We do that at the first Sunday of every month, or we try to anyway. That's our hope. Uh, next, coming up March 23rd, we begin our uh, Defending Your Faith with Frank Turek series. Um, so come on Saturdays for that at 10 a.m. Uh, I think it lasts about two hours or three. I'm not sure. So that'll go for, I believe, eight weeks or six weeks. That's our next class that we're doing. So if you want to sign up for that, it's a wonderful class on uh, apologetics. Uh, for the faith. So, uh, March 23rd. We'll have a sign-up sheet for that. Uh, Good Friday. We have a Good Friday service, March 29th at 7 p.m. And then finally, Easter Sunday, we do have our sunrise service. That'll be at 7 a.m. out there. Uh, And 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. or 11 a.m. is our regular service times inside. So one outside service in the morning and then two inside after that. And then the women's luncheon. We have a sign-up sheet out there for that. That's April 13th beginning at 10.30, and uh, you can sign up for that if you're interested in coming to that. Now, we do have a garage sale coming up, uh, but that's kind of a ways away, so we haven't made a slide for that yet. So start thinking that way, you know, uh, getting rid of your stuff. So, all right. Let's pray, and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the time we get to have in it. As you try to share wisdom with us, and our ears are open and our hearts are receptive to it, we pray that it stick. We pray that it would land in this really good soil, that we'd receive it uh, with gladness, knowing it's from you and that you're making our lives better and that we'd apply it then, that we would take this wisdom and not just hold it, but do it. And so we pray for your word to speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit in Jesus name. Amen. Proverbs 24, the Lord goes through a couple different scenarios with us. Verses 1 and 2, do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of troublemaking. That's what every mom's told their kid from from the time they were able to understand it. Steer clear of those people. You know, they're going to bring you down. They're going to hurt you. Um, Paul takes it a step further in Romans 16, I'd say. Um, And he kind of says, you need to identify those that are evil among you, those that are causing you to stumble or wanting you to stumble, and you need to mark them, mark them. And it doesn't mean like mark them, mark them, but like make note of these people until they change, they're not changed. Until they're different, they're the same. Um, Don't be fooled by the smiles or the, the kind behavior they have this time because there's been no real change of heart yet, mark them. Understand who you're talking to. I think that's very important. Um, An easy target would be a politician, maybe, you know. Um, Not every politician, and it's a tough job. I don't don't want that job. I think I need to pray a lot more for them, because I can't imagine just trying to go through what they go through each and every day. Um, trying to discern who's a snake and who's not, you know, and who should I help and who shouldn't I, and how do I push this bill through with all the garbage they've attached to it that don't align with my values. But if I reject it, then everybody's going to say, I rejected my values. You know, just what a difficult task. But that being said, 
you get burnt a couple times by these people, you need to pay attention. And that's, that's not just politicians, that's anybody. Here's what Paul says. Romans 16, verses 17 through 18. Now I urge you, brethren, believers, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Now it fits the politicians really well, because oftentimes those that love power and didn't go into it for civil service, well, they just want the power to continue in their lives and the benefits that go along with that power. And so they'll say anything, a lot of times, during their uh, election year cycle, um, and then not do what they said they were going to do while they're uh, legislating. And so we have to be careful about that and, and, and try to discern between these. So do not be envious of them. God says, I've marked them. I want you to mark them. Watch them. Don't desire to be with them, he says. Their hearts devise violence and their lips talk of troublemaking. They're going to bring you in with them if you're not careful. So we're we're to guard our hearts. And that's not just those folks. That's an easy target. They're public. But people in our own lives, we have to be careful about that. We always want to be ministering and sharing grace and mercy and forgiveness and all that. But... Don't deceive yourself into thinking that they're not someone I need to worry about. These are people that need Jesus, and until they find Jesus and are born again, um, well, they can't change. They, only Christ can change the heart. So he warns his son about that, and God warns us about that. Watch out for these folks. Don't, don't get envious of them, is the idea. Verse 3, through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. God is trying to teach us something about the importance of wisdom. Wisdom builds a house. Talents are fine. Gifts, giftings are fine. Skills, great. But it's wisdom that builds the house. It's wisdom that brings peace and harmony into your life through Christ. In Matthew sixteen eighteen. Peter had just declared something, and we'll, we'll cover that in a second, but here was Jesus' conclusion. In verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, there's a debate as to who he was talking about. Was he talking about Peter himself, Pe- Peter being Petros, um, little pebble, uh, versus Petro, which is rock, Peter gets named Little Pebble. I'm going to build my house. Well, is Jesus talking about the truth Jesus, or that Peter claimed, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, or is he saying, actually, Peter? Well, (laughs) we believe he's talking about the truth, that he claimed Christ Jesus, named him out loud. And upon that truth, I'll build my church. I don't want to be a part of a church that's built upon a man. We're just kind of shifty. So the debate can be remedied without just having to say, well, the Protestants believe this and the others believe that. You know, We can get it from Scripture. He, he interprets himself. We don't have to wonder about it. The Bible interprets itself. So Matthew 16, 16, a few verses previous, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds upon this, I will build my church. That makes sense. 
Later on in Matthew chapter 7, a different gospel, verses 24 through, the same gospel, but a few chapters beforehand, verses 24 through 28. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. What's the rock? The one who builds upon the truths that you've heard and received in your life from Christ Jesus. That's the idea. Uh, And the rain descends and the floods come and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as a scribe. So the rock is the truths of Christ. Wisdom builds your house. The truths of Christ build your house. That's the rock upon which we want to build our whole lives upon. Whether it's a home with a family or whether it's just you individually, we want to build upon that. Later on, Romans 9 verses 33 As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. Here's our rock again, same rock as we've been talking about through every one of these passages. And whomever believes on him, the rock, (laughs) will not be put to shame. Finally, this is the last one I promise, 1 Corinthians 10.4. And all drank that spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. We don't have to wonder about what Jesus meant upon what rock he's going to build his church upon. He clearly displays that in his passages. So scripture interprets scripture. We need to build our house, our homes, wisdom, he says, upon this rock, upon the truths of Christ. Anybody that doesn't is foolish. It cannot stand. Your plan, your wisdom, your ideas, your thoughts, your philosophies outside of Christ, outside of scripture will not hold up against storms. Storms reveal the strength of your ideas. Any marriage that starts off without Christ and storms come, the, the results are obvious. You know, We boast about our marriage of 30 years, but it's only because of Christ. It's only because of Christ that we've been able to withstand 30 years of storms off and on. Not constant, but off and on there were... Things that would come against us, financial situations, all sorts of things come against a marriage. And if we weren't resting upon Christ through those times, it would have strained if not broken us. It's only because of Christ. It isn't because of my intestinal fortitude or Jenny's ability to put up with, you know. It has to do with Jesus Christ in our lives. Our lives were founded upon him first. And then we came together and our eyes were always fixed on him as it should be. And then we grow together. We're stable. You try to build a marriage or a family outside of those truths. You try to build your life in any way, single or married. It doesn't matter. It, the storms will show. The storms will shine on the strength of yourself and on the strength of your, what you built upon. Verse 5, back in Proverbs. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. The dad here, speaking to his son, says your strength is in your brain. 
It's your smarts. It's your wisdom. It isn't about the gym. (laughs) It isn't even about your training, your physical health, or anything like that. A wise man is strong. That's the most important part. I'm all for physical fitness. You can tell I'm just a specimen of health here. It's just getting better with age. I'm saying I'm a really smart guy, and I know my limitations, so I'm just going to have to outsmart anybody that tries to attack, you know, or whatever. I've got strategies now where I didn't need them before, just explosive power before. Now, that knee's not going to do it, you know? So I've got to think smarter, not harder, you know? Somebody talked us into getting on a softball team. I don't know if they're coming to first service or second service. Where are those people? Oh, they're second service people sleeping in today. Well, yeah, I'll knock it out of the park. And if I don't, I'm a fast runner. Well, you take that first step after 20 years of not taking that first step from home to first, and there it is. You pull that hamstring, you just waddle the rest, you know, for a month. Smart. Be smart, he says to his son. You're going to wage war through knowledge. You're going to be strong because of your wisdom. And by wise counsel, you wage war. Think things through. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7 says, Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. It's about Jesus. The next verse I put in here, I'll tie this together. It might be hard to maybe track. I, I I, did, I was a little obscure, but the wisdom that we have, the building upon the house, he's, you know, the, the building upon the rock, the house, you know, it's all about the Lord. John chapter 5, verses 38 through 40, but you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures. This is very important this morning. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are are which testify of me, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. I love the word of God. It is the word of God, the whole counsel of God. It's beautiful, but it's not your salvation. The book is describing a person and trying to introduce us to the God, Jesus Christ, the God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, all three, trying to bring us to him. It doesn't do any, the the devil knows the Bible. Better than we do, more than likely. And having it and owning it and studying it is not the same as having a relationship with the person it's talking about. And Jesus tried to show that to him. You think you have life because you own the Torah, because you have the law and the prophets. No, they're they're trying to bring you to me, and you're rejecting me in the process. So you've got the word, but you're rejecting who the word is talking about. So... When he talks about your wisdom and your knowledge and all these things, the the understanding and the relationship you have with Christ and the getting to know him better, that's how you wage war. That personal relationship with Jesus Christ has to be there. So we can get off track sometimes with our studies. Um. Why do you come to the studies? Why do you go to the scriptures? To defeat other human beings in the knowledge of the scriptures? Or to know the person that the scriptures are talking about better? You see? 
I come to the Bible to know my Lord better because the Holy Spirit's sword is the Word of God and it teaches me about Him. I don't learn for learning's sake. I learn so my relationship increases with Him. Clear, I hope. Verse 7 of Proverbs. Back to Proverbs. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. Now the gate... It's amazing how all these connect together, and I don't think I'm going to do a great job of doing it, but I'm going to try. We've already heard about gates, haven't we? The gates of hell, and now this fool, because he's a fool, isn't going to sit in the gates. Well, these gates is where everything would happen. It's where the... It's where the legal system was at the gates of the city. Um, in fact, Proverbs 31 is about a woman who's married to a man who sits at the gates of the city. He's a prominent man. He's in authority. He has wisdom, you know, these kind of things. These gates aren't like the gates of hell. I, we misunderstand that sometimes, I think. The gates of hell. We're going to bust through these gates with a big you know, thing, and here comes the church. No, the wisdom of hell cannot defeat the wisdom of the church. Because the wisdom of the church is upon Jesus Christ, and it always wins. It always wins out. We can, we can see the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of hell, manifesting itself right now in our country. We're seeing our country just crumble because it's not following the ways of God. We've removed God. We're doing secular humanism, which is nothing more than Satanism disguised, basically. Um, we don't have a lot of wisdom by ourselves. And so things are happening, and we're watching. It's like, that doesn't even make sense. Why would anybody? And the Christians are looking around at anybody that reads their Bible, and we're watching everything going on, and we're like, this is so self-destructive. This is so strange. I mean, I don't understand what they're thinking. I, I mean, I'm trying to see their point of view, but all I see is, the, the fruit of it is horrible. I, uh, why isn't anybody... That's why everybody's saying, we need to wake up. And you're awake. <laughs> you're just watching the gates of hell fail us as human beings miserably like it does in everybody's individual life or a country. Makes no difference. Uh, once we go that route, it just crumbles. It falls away. Every human society does that on, on humanism. It just falls. So... A fool is never going to find himself at the gate, that leadership. And if they do find themselves, that city's done, is the idea. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, when Moses, then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I don't want to lead, is what he's saying. And he's finding every reason he can. God chose him to lead, but I don't want to lead. I don't want to sit at the gates. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind? Have I not the Lord? Now, therefore, go and be, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Now, I'm using these cross-references because there are some, and I hear this from people a lot, and maybe you're one of them, Please be encouraged this morning. Uh, I just don't understand the Bible. When I read it, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't grasp it. I just, and they give up. And they give up. And they, they don't read their Bibles anymore. They, they just wait for someone to feed them and, and all. And, and Jesus is, that's the same argument Moses had. I, I can't do this. 
You can. And he, and he says why you can do this, Moses. It's not because of you. I'm not counting on you, Moses, to be eloquent. I'm not counting on you to be the leader that I've been looking for my whole life, God says. I'm telling you I'm going to make you that person. I just need you to walk into Egypt. That's what I'm asking you to do. And then I will, oh, he says, now therefore, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. I will, I'll do this. Nobody's too stupid to not learn the Bible. You, you can learn the Bible. You can learn God's word. You can walk with the Holy Spirit. He can teach you. He can bring you. Don't ever, and you'll get, you'll get more and more wise. Wiser than you ever could imagine. I struggled in school. Struggled because, I, I, first of all, I didn't want to be there at all. Hated school. Hated it. And I would sit there and I would look out the windows and, and because I wasn't, and I'm not trying to knock public school too much, but I, I couldn't learn through that factory. I can't, I couldn't do it. And what they labeled me as was someone who couldn't learn the way we're going to teach everybody. And there are 28 students in this class and 25 of them can learn and you three can't. And I was told that year after year, and you begin to believe that, that you're just in the green reading group. Well, you know what green means. That's the third down, you know, kind of thing. Well, your comprehension. No, when I'm interested, I comprehend. When I'm doing something I get, I comprehend it or enjoy. But this, I daydream, and I can't track, and I can't follow. Now, I'm saying this, because we bring that idea, that thought, the three of us out of the 28 that are in this room, to the Bible or to scriptures, because here's more reading. And here's more I can't comprehend. And I don't, when you first, now I love this, but when you fall in love and are a born again believer in Jesus Christ and he becomes the master passion of your life, and you come to a book and it begins to talk about him, oh boy, you comprehend. I comprehend this book than any other book I've ever tried to read. Algebra 1, had to take it twice. Algebra 2, had to take it twice with a tutor. Now, I passed, but boy, I never looked for algebra again the rest of my life. This, I can't get away from it. I'm infatuated with him. I'm infatuated with learning and seeing and finding and like, oh my goodness, just, just this study time. I've always understood the rock thing that we just talked about. Never put all those scriptures together until just this morning when I shared with you. Put all those scriptures. Like, oh my goodness, it doesn't even have to be an argument. It's right there in the passage. That's been there the whole time. For 30 plus years I've been walking with Jesus, but I've never put those scriptures together. This is a, this is a bottomless well I mean, I say it all the time. I know that every time I come to the Bible, I learn something new, even though I've read it many times. And we, we all agree. Still, I'm sometimes blown away by that plain, simple truth about the rock has been in those passages this whole time, and I've never connected the dots that way. I've always defended upon, oh, yeah, well, we say, oh, yeah, well, we say. None of us have to even puff our chests out. I can just say, okay, I see your point of view, but what do you think about this verse, this verse, this verse, and this verse? Oh, clearly lays it out for us. 
you can comprehend. You can grow closer to Christ. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him as much as you want to know him. He wants to reveal himself to you and share everything about himself with you. Nothing is hidden. I want you to know, he says in his word. So I say that because a lot of times we, well, we handicap ourselves because we've been told that, but you're not handicapped at all. And that's what God was trying to bring across to Moses. In John 14, 26, Jesus reiterates what he said, what he said to Moses. He says again, And yeah, it's the same person. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. It's nothing new, is it? Moses didn't want to be a leader, didn't want to follow God. These guys were nervous about being brought before people, magistrates, just not pharaohs, but they're called magistrates in the New Testament. He says, no, the Holy Spirit's got you. I've got you. I'll help you with these things. We can know. Verse 8, back in Proverbs. He who plots to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. He's just saying, watch out for these people. I'm not going to elaborate much on this. I think it's clear. Um, They're a schemer, and there are schemers out there, and you know who they are. You try to pretend maybe this time they're not scheming, but you can sense a scheme when it's happening. You know, and that's just who they are. He says, so watch out for them. They devise foolishness and it's a sin. And the scoffers an abomination to men. So watch out for those folks. Verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. He expects his son. God expects us to be able to withstand adversity. Strengthen yourself so that you can withstand adversity. Expect adversity. That's most of the New Testament is describing the persecution that a Christian is going to receive. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. I mean, we have promise after promise about this. And as, as maybe worrisome as it can be sometimes, well, maybe I don't want that much. I don't want that much heat. And then he tells us, I'm never going to give you more than you can bear. I'm never going to put too much on you but I'm going to put enough on you that it maybe stretches you and strengthens you. We should expect these things. In Isaiah 40, 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I understand that the tendency or the inclination of some pastors to teach the word wait as waiting on tables You hear that, and maybe I've even done that. That isn't what it's talking about in the passage. Yes, I think you should serve God, but I don't think you should use this passage to implement that or put that on people. He wants us to wait on him, to rest. Your strength comes from resting in Christ. Your strength comes from sitting still with the Lord, sitting, having quiet times with him, getting alone with him. When Jesus needed to renew his strength, he would go away from everybody on top of the mountain and pray and spend time. That's the waiting on the Lord that, that this scripture is talking about. You want to have strength? You need to refresh yourself in the Lord. We think it sometimes, all the things, the world has lots of options for, for us. 
to, to kind of, uh, you know, uh, rejuvenate ourselves or to boost. Like maybe I need a spa day or maybe I need more me time or, you know, I mean, any, any cookie advertisement is, this is poor housewife saying, oh, it's just time for me and my snack well. Mm, you know, you know, oh, I need a snack well. That'll do it. No. I mean, no. I mean, enjoy snack wells. But if you're going to do a cookie, just get the real ones and commit to the calories, you know. Uh, I encourage that. And then with that cookie, wait on the Lord. He wants you to have an Oreo too. I'm pretty sure it's in Leviticus someplace, Oreos. But it's okay. But get alone with God. That's where your strength comes from, by waiting on him. In Jeremiah 12, 5, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted, they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplains of the Jordan? Okay. This is a really interesting verse that Jeremiah, well, God is speaking to Jeremiah about this, but that he tries to share with him. Um, if you're tired running with footmen, which is normal, everyday life, what's going to happen when things get harder? You know? And we need to prepare for that. I, th- I don't think you need to bring hardship into your life, but I don't think you need to be complaining as much as we do about the normal everyday stuff. Oh, my laundry. Your laundry? It's not going to fold itself. No, it doesn't. And so you're going to have to pair the socks too, which is the worst, you know. But it's nothing to fuss about. I mean, laundry, you know. Oh, I've got to make dinner. You have food? That's wonderful. What, what happens when there's no food, you know, kind of thing? That's what he's getting at. Don't, don't weaken yourself. <laughs> Uh, the scripture's this, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. You need to be stronger than that. If you can't handle peacetime, if you're struggling already with peacetime, wait till war breaks out. You know? Are you going to be able to handle that? When I'm not being spiritually attacked and I'm complaining about my latte or I'm complaining about food prices or whatever it may be, it's going to get harder. So to work on that and to not be complaining as much or to be so tossed to and fro by these smaller things that are just just normal life. That's just normal every day. Wait till the storms do come, you know, to be stronger. Verse 11, deliver those who are drawn towards death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. He's telling them, I want you to have compassion on those that seem to be going in the wrong direction. Don't say it's not your problem. That's what Cain said. Cain, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? We say that a lot as a joke. Probably shouldn't be quoting Cain in our lives. You know, you are your brother's keeper. You are. And he warns him about that. If you see those people being going to death, go get them. Judah is a wonderful verse, 22 and 23, two verses. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Go get them, you know. Matthew sixteen eighteen, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. In other words, you have the strength and the ability as the church to go against the wisdom the false wisdom of Hades, that someone's believed the lies. 
bring the truth to them, show them the truth, be the truth to them, tell them the truth and pull them out of that fire. You know, we can do that. We're called to that. We have the gate we have the keys. He's given them to us. And the keys are the truth. Okay. The truth. Verse 12. If you say, surely we did not know this. Does he, uh, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? You know, when you say, I didn't know. Well, God knows you didn't know. You know, I think that's important to give ourselves that grace and mercy as we grow. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. When I was saved back in 1989, I was as saved as I was ever going to be. I was never going to get more saved the longer I walked with the Lord. I worked out my own salvation. I learned about Jesus, but I was going to heaven and sitting in the front row in heaven, not the back row like we like to joke around about. Front row heaven seats in 1989 when I didn't know anything and wasn't even hardly changed yet. Not conformed into the image of Christ, just forgiven, you see. But I'm still going to heaven because it's the righteousness of Christ that was imputed to me, not something I built up over 30 years of walking with him. So when you don't know something and you didn't realize it was sin or you didn't realize how offensive it was, God knows that. But once you do know, well, now you're held accountable for that. That's the struggle with going to church and reading the Bible and studying the Bible, hearing the things that God isn't pleased with, and yet not applying those to your life, you're still accountable for those things. Let me give you some passages that are uncomfortable. James 4, 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. We just read this last Wednesday. James was letting him know some things in that chapter 4. And he says at the end of that, now you know. And now you're responsible to do. Okay. He's a good brother. James 3.1. Previously, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Why? If I'm going to teach this about Peter and the rock and all these things, I know. What good does it do if I don't know? And I'm trying to share something with you folks. If I know it. I'm going to be held to a stricter judgment. I'm not going to be able to stand before God and say, I had no idea Peter wasn't the rock, or, you know, or was the rock. And I, you, No, you knew. I told you. I showed you. You studied it. You taught it. You're accountable. You know, I'm accountable for everything I've ever taught, um, which is not scary to me. I mean, it, but it's sobering, and it should be. Luke 12, 48. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Interesting verse, you know. We don't have any wrath waiting for us. Don't misunderstand this scripture. But you are held accountable for it. You're held accountable for what you know. But you're not held accountable for what you don't know. Scripture is very clear on that. So I'm not saying go stick your head in the sand, you know, and say, good, I'm going to stop learning just to, you know, cut my losses, you know, kind of thing. No, obviously the whole point of this is to move forward and to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Verses 13 through 14. 
back in Proverbs. My son, eat honey, Oreos, because it is good. No, don't add to the word of God like that. That's really bad. Sorry. My son, eat honey because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to your taste, so shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul if you have found it. There is a prospect, and your hope will not be cut off. You found some good stuff. Wisdom. Eat it. It's like honey, you know, from God. Enjoy it. Verses 15 and 16. Do not lie in wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Now, why he's talking to his kid about him being a wicked man, it's, it's, it's more just pointing out the fact that you're going to be attacked by wicked men. And at times it may knock you off your feet, but get back up again. Just keep rising. God allows us to keep getting back up again. God isn't the God of second chances. He's the God of infinite chances. Constantly, we cannot exhaust his grace and mercy. As a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, and anybody out there, in fact, an unbeliever too, as long as they're still breathing, they still can be saved. doesn't matter what their life was like. The opportunity for salvation is still available to everybody. Okay? You can rise. But... If you're a righteous man and you get knocked off your feet a couple times, you keep rising. The wicked are going to fall by their own calamity. And that's what he's building upon here. The wicked are going to take care of themselves. Their own consequences will be their downfall. Verse 17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Mm, I'm guilty of that. I thoroughly enjoy that. And I shouldn't. I shouldn't, but I thoroughly enjoy it when I see my enemy. Like, like when I'm speeding only five miles over the speed limit and they're going 10 and they should only be going five over the speed limit like me. You know what we do? We do that. You know, no, this is as much speeding as everybody should be doing. That guy's a crazy man over there. My, you've got your level, right? And then someone pulls him over right in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. Five over. I, I tried to tell you in my mind, but you weren't listening. No. No. Here's what he says about it. It's really interesting and a little intimidating and should be. It's meant for that. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath from him. I want, he says, leave room for my judgment, he says, you know. Don't do it yourself. Don't bring wrath upon yourself. Leave room for me, you know, to do that. But if he sees you over there clapping, saying, yeah, kick him again, God, he's not. And you don't want God's eyes off of him because where are his eyes going to? It doesn't say it, but they're going to go to me. What are you clapping about? You're getting him. I, I, I was praying you'd get him, you know, kind of thing. Well, let's talk about your behavior this week, you know. No, 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 no. Him, he's the bad guy. He was going 10 over, you know, kind of thing. We got to be careful about that. I think he's warning us. Let whatever God wants to do with our enemies, he does it, but I'm not supposed to cheer, clap, and hoot and holler. I just have to say, oh boy, you know, keep a low profile when it comes to that stuff because they're by the grace of God, right? It's only because of God's grace and mercy that I'm going to heaven. It's nothing to do with me being better than that guy. It's only by God's grace. We've got to really be careful about this. 
Verse 19, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked, for there will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. I don't have to fret about it. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to occupy till he comes. But I still can do all of that with a smile on my face, knowing that whatever happens, I know where we're headed. And any kind of uh, few steps forward our country makes or I make or whatever we make as a community, it's still going to result in the book of Revelation taking place. That is coming. That is going to happen. Now I'm going to do my part. I'm going to occupy till he comes. I'm going to shout it from the mountaintops, you know, but I don't have to fret about evildoers. I'm be envious of them and wonder why, why can't we be more like them kind of thing. I hear that a lot too. We need to be like they are. They're fighting like that. We need to fight like that. We need to, we got to be careful about that. There will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Verses 21 through or 22, this is our last two verses. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those given to change. People that are changers, people that are tossed, don't associate with those. For their calamity will rise suddenly. And who knows the ruin those two can bring. That flip-floppiness, that changiness about people isn't... They adapt to the environment. If it suits them to talk about Jesus, they'll talk about Jesus. If it suits them to not proclaim his name, they won't proclaim his name. Watch out for them, he says. You need to be the same person every single day. The same person you're in public should be the same person you are at home and vice versa. You should be the same. In James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let that, that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, a changer. He's unstable. He's double-minded. On Friday night, I'm a partier. On Sunday morning, I'm a worshiper. That's a double-minded man or woman. And it's a danger. Watch out for that. Malachi 3, verses 5 through 7. I love the book of Malachi so much there. The prophet says this, and about and well, the Lord speaks through the prophet, says this, and I will come near for judgment. I will be a swift witness against Sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, against those who turn away an alien, because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I do not change. God doesn't change. None of these things in this list or any other list in Scripture that talks about sin He doesn't change his mind about those things. If they're an abomination then, they're an abomination now. He doesn't change. Now, we live in a society that is constantly shifting and changing their opinion about behavior. What wasn't acceptable 10 years ago, 20 years ago, is completely acceptable now. And I'm to be guarded against that. If you think the battle we're having right now over bathrooms and things like that is intense, guys, we're just getting started. 
It's going to get worse and harder. I have to be established in the truth. And I have to not associate with those who change so quickly. I thought you were opposed to this. Well, I was, but then I thought about it. So your man's thoughts change your opinion about God's thoughts. Be careful. He finishes with this. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So maybe you did wander off. Maybe you did move away from his precepts and his ideas and his thoughts and his truth. You can come back, he says. You can change your mind back to these things because I don't change. And since you changed away from me, you can change towards me. Draw near to me. Come near to me. We love that verse. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Do we know what context it's in? It means I've walked away from him. I followed these worldly precepts. We've had problems from the very beginning of the church. 2,000 years ago, we had the same problems. That's why we can read a book written 2,000 years ago, and it still applies today because we're still dealing with people. (laughs) We're no different than they were, and they were no better than we are. We're still struggling with that, with staying close, staying true, staying the course, you know, enduring all these things because we get tired, we get fatigued, we don't wait on the Lord, we lose our strength, we begin to waffle, we begin to get our eyes off of him and onto this world. It's the same thing that we're being warned against. And he says, when you realize you're clear over here, away from me, change course and get back to me. It's a promise. I will return to you. And finally, Hebrews thirteen eighteen for today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. His thoughts don't change. In fact, he says, I've magnified my word above my name. What my word declares about my son Jesus is always going to be. It never vanishes away. It never stops being who Christ is. Now, we are changing Christ in many ways facets of society into what we want Christ to be, what we think Christ is. And in order to do that, we have to remove bits and pieces, if not whole chapters of God and his word to make Christ out to be who we want him to be. But it's not the true Jesus. Jesus doesn't change. So when I read this and he says about himself, the volume of the book is written of me and it's permanent. I don't change We can trust this. And that's how we know whether we're far away from God or whether we're close to God. By reading his word as it describes him and teaches us about him, that's who I am. And if you don't line up here, then that means you're far away from me. You need to align yourself. The Bible doesn't align itself with us. We align ourselves to it because it speaks of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. So much, Lord. Um, I thank you that we're here to, first of all, wait on you, to let your word by your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts, to lift us up, to encourage us, to nourish us spiritually, because we are in a battle. We recognize it. And we know that for some of us, sometimes it's a time of peace, and we know there can be rougher times ahead for us, but we're preparing now for that. We're going to be strong now, so when those times come, we're ready. And so I thank you for these folks. I pray that you keep your word in their hearts. I pray that it would strengthen every area of their life. 
I pray that if we've moved away from you in any way, small or big, that we'd return to you this morning, God. That we would change our mind about our enemies, that we won't rejoice over them falling because they're going to fall. Um, That we won't change our mind about um, any of the things of your word at all, but we'd stay true to you, stay close to you, God. Lord, it's a spiritual battle that we're in. As much as Satan loves to use physical things to get us off our game, to distract us, it's a spiritual battle. Lord, help us to be prayers, Lord. To be in that constant communication with you, whether that's at a corporate time when we come together or whether that's individually, constantly, God, that we would always be praying, knowing that every room we walk into is going to be spiritual warfare, everything. Not that we have to be worried, but at least we're aware of what's really happening and not the physical and being distracted and fleshy in those things. So God, fill us with your spirit. Help us to walk in this world as spiritual people, Lord, to be close to you, to be attentive to your Holy Spirit, to your leading and guiding, to your promptings, God. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Glad to pray with you.